Lovely to be with you this morning. As, um, as Dave was saying, I remember back in January, I commented on the fact I only had four verses to preach on, and this time I've got three words. <laughs> Your kingdom come. But three words that can be unpacked in so many different ways and have such a depth of meaning. And I fear I won't be able to do justice to that depth of meaning in 20 minutes, but I'm going to do my best uh, and draw out what I believe God wants to emphasize today. We started our service by looking at how our world is broken. It has to start there. For if our world is not broken, why would Jesus instruct us to pray for God's kingdom to come? What does it mean to be broken? It's a morning of props today, so children, I brought a few little props along of things that are broken that I found around our house. So the first thing is the scrunchie for your hair. So the other day I tried to put my hair back in a ponytail and the elastic just snapped, meaning it's pretty useless for holding my hair back. Now we have a whole bag of these, so I have to say this one is just going to get tossed. We have a little doll of Gabriella's. She lost a leg. And it's kind of the way it's designed, we couldn't really stick it back on. So, um, but we've encouraged her to play with this doll, Lily is her name, uh, in this same way, because, you know, not everyone has two legs, and she can still go and play with her other friends, so she is still one of Gabriella's toys. Lastly, I brought our cheese grater with us. <laughs> now, our cheese grater used to have a nice little handle, uh, but that's gone, and it's all kind of out of shape, really. But you know what? It still grates cheese. Uh, and I'm a tight Yorkshire, so I'm not going to replace it. So we continue to use our cheese grater uh, happily, uh, though it is in a bit of a state. Now, when we look at the world, we can't throw it away like I threw my scrunchie away, uh, because we live in it but we recognize that there's lots of things that are broken about it, and we have to make do, a bit like uh, Gabriella with her doll or us with the cheese grater. Uh, as Dave said at the beginning, we, we often refer to this in Christian jargon as being fallen. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned and were thrown out of the Garden of Eden, we have been living in a broken world. I saw a great video clip of Krish Kandaya, who is the founder of Home for Good, and he was talking about Thy Kingdom Come, and he has adopted children, and one of the children he adopted just had a lot of problems and wouldn't relate to him. And one day, he brought a broken car to him, and the wheel had fallen off. So Chris put the wheel back on, and the child went off and played a bit longer. It fell off again, he came back, he, he put, fixed it and went off and played and came back, and it had fallen off again. And Chris had a friend with him, and the friend said, why are you bothering, why not just throw it in the bin? And he said, actually, this is the closest I have been to my adopted son so far, that he is lifting up this broken car to me, uh, believing and trusting in me that I can fix it. And, I, and he said, thy kingdom come evokes that same sense of us lifting up our broken world, broken situations, broken relationships to our father who has adopted us and ask him to fix it. I thought that was a lovely picture. I will show the vi uh, share the video on Slack uh, in the week so that you can have a look at that too. So at the start of the Lord's Prayer, we recognize our Father in heaven, that his name is holy, that we hallow his name, 
And then we stop to acknowledge the pain of a broken world. I don't get to go on to the next bit today, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, but I think it's right to pause first in the reality of our broken world. Romans 8 verse 22 says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So even nature is groaning at this time. I'm an eternal optimist, may not come as much of a surprise, and therefore I'm likely to focus on the situations where we see God break through, where prayers are answered. It can also be easy, and never more than in the past year where we've been locked down uh, in, in just in our own household, to shrink my view of the world to those immediately around me and rejoice when everything seems to be going well there. But what the Bible teaches is that as we hold our world up and widen our perspective, it doesn't take long till we see real pain, just as we've just been praying for India. Things might be fine in my small worldview, but as soon as I expand that view, you see brokenness, pain, deep suffering. The Bible teaches us that God looks out for the vulnerable. He hears the cry of those who suffer. Psalm 10, verse 17, You, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry. When I allow myself to take that wider view of our world, I have to confess it's not a pretty sight. For me personally, I think in the last few months, uh, the murder of Sarah Everard was one of those moments where you just stopped and your breath was taken away by the sheer evil, the sheer desperate sadness and suffering in what happened there. And that is happening all over our world, isn't it? When I was preparing this sermon, it happened to be in the same couple of days where there was a lot of discussion about mourning. First in our staff meeting, where we're looking at emotionally healthy spirituality, and the chapter was on mourning and grief and the importance of acknowledging that pain and processing it, rather than seeking to just cover it over glibly with, with some sort of favorite Bible verses. I was then at a prayer meeting where Martin Charlesworth was invited to offer some reflections on what has changed as a result of the pandemic. The first thing he mentioned was that mourning, loss, and disorientation will be an ongoing reality as we come out of the pandemic. I need to keep this clear in my mind. I want to pull out the best in a difficult situation and move forwards. But I have to confess that is not the biblical model. It's not what we see Job do, and it's not what comes across in the book of Psalms and in Lamentations. Let us acknowledge the pain, the suffering, the unfairness, the terrible wrongdoings that exist. And here is what Jesus says we should say about these things. Your kingdom come. That felt like a long introduction, but for me, this is a key message today. Uh, and I now want to take each word in turn and pull out some things for us to reflect on. So, first of all, your or thy, depending on which version you want to go with. Here we affirm our loyalty to the King of Kings. We recognize that the solution to this, to this brokenness, is in God's kingdom, and that it belongs to him. A little bit like Caleb was sharing last week about I am. He's the 
I am. We can't sort of design him how we want him to be. He is who he is. And in that same way, we recognize that his kingdom is the, the solution. His kingdom is what we need. It also means we need to let go, recognize we're not in control, and what we think is the answer is not always God's answer. And who will our king be? Well, Dave's already said it, Jesus, of course. We declare that we want God ruling. We want Jesus in place as our king of kings. The next word is kingdom. But what is this kingdom about? What are its values? Well, Jesus doesn't give us a nice definition of the kingdom, I'm afraid. Yet it was the fundamental thing he came to talk about. At the start of Mark's gospel, he says, the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. From that time on, he preaches the kingdom. He does it both by word and in action. He teaches about kingdom values, such as loving your neighbor, being merciful, not judging others, being a servant. He uses parables to express what the kingdom is like. It's like a mustard seed. It's like yeast that impacts the whole dough. It's like, if you find it, it's like treasure in a field. And all this helps us absorb a sense of it for our own culture and experience, which actually is just so, such a great way to go about it. Because if, it ha if we did have a snappy definition for it, would it work for all cultures in this world? Would it work for all situations? But instead, Jesus gives us pointers to the values, to what it looks like, so that we can absorb that and embrace it for our culture and for our circumstances. And of course, Jesus models it. He shows us this upside down world where the humble are exalted and the weak are made strong. He shows love and compassion. He heals the sick. He frees the oppressed. As we read through the Gospels, we are drawn to Jesus and his values. We embrace the kingdom he speaks of where he will reign. And then come, we have the verb. This is the first real active verb in the Lord's Prayer. We start with our Father who is in heaven. Hallowed be your name, hallowing his name. Describing where God is, who he is. But he's not sat there disinterested, twiddling his thumbs until it's time to send Jesus back to earth. Each member of the Trinity is actively involved in the ongoing sustaining of our world and us as individuals. The Holy Spirit lives within us, Jesus is interceding for us, and the Father acts. When we pray, thy kingdom come, we're asking God to act in our world. God is at heart missional. This is his great plan. This is his story. God hears our cry, he sees our pain. He sent Jesus to earth from the line so that that promise to Abraham could be fulfilled. Jesus comes to bring blessing to all the nations, to open the way for us, to even think of being able to approach our holy father. He's promised that this kingdom will never end. Angel Gabriel said to Mary, he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. 
His kingdom will never end. It was prophesied in Daniel 7, verse 27. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. A new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells, where sin is no longer. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Isn't that what we long for? And that sounds wonderful. And back in the passage in Romans, we're encouraged to wait eagerly in hope for God's kingdom coming. But what does that actually mean for us in our day-to-day life? Here we must cover the importance of the now and the not yet. Uh, For we see in a mirror dimly, we only see in part at the moment, God's kingdom breaks into our lives and into our world, but only in part. So I want to suggest that when we pray thy kingdom come, we're looking at three main areas. Firstly, we are praying for evidence of God's kingdom in the situations we see around us. Peace where there is war. Healing where there is sickness. Comfort where there is pain. Justice where innocent people have been wronged. We believe God acts today in these situations and we must pray believing he can. That's why we just prayed for India. That's why we bring individual situations to him. We are praying for kingdom breakthrough in situations where there is pain, suffering, wrongdoing. It's also why we love to hear testimonies of how God is working. It builds up our faith. It strengthens our prayer life to believe that God will act and does act today. So firstly, it's kingdom breakthrough into these different situations. Secondly, it's the expansion of his kingdom. We are praying for people to come to know Jesus. This is the key reason for the global prayer movement entitled Thy Kingdom Come, which happens in the run-up to Pentecost. The main thrust of our mission as Christians is to preach the gospel and bring more people into God's kingdom. So in the now, we're praying for kingdom breakthrough into the situations of darkness we see. And we pray for the expansion of his kingdom as more people come to be God's children. But let's not forget that ultimately we're not going to, bring, to see everything answered. We're not going to see all pain stop until Jesus returns. We're going to continue to see pain and suffering, injustice and sin because of the fallen nature of our world and our humanity. I love this verse in 2 Peter 3, verse 13. It says, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. This was always the plan. Since the creation of of the world, the kingdom has been prepared. This new heaven and this new earth. And we are, that is our inheritance. That is our final hope that we are looking for. My focus today is on who God is as we pray to him in the Lord's Prayer. But of course, we mustn't forget we have a part to play. Not just in faithful prayer, but in being agents of the kingdom. 
Jesus' representatives on earth, his hands and his feet. We're citizens of heaven, Philippians 3.20, but we are here on earth as his agents. The early church saw their role as fellow workers for the kingdom of God. That's in Colossians 4, verse 11. Whilst expectant of Jesus' return soon. Matthew 25 illustrates this starkly. It's the parable of the sheep and the goats, where it talks about have you given food to someone who is hungry? Have you cared for the sick? And uh, Jesus says, what you did for me. And people say, well, we didn't do it for you. What you did for the least of these, you did for me. And it says in verse 34, come. I just realized I've read that out wrong, didn't I? So, so that one is the come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you. The 2 Peter 3 uh, is the, in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new earth and a new heaven. So we're bringing these all together. And we, as we are agents, as we act as agents in the kingdom, we can take that inheritance. Our current Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, put it this way. In praying thy kingdom come, we all commit to playing our part in the renewal of the nations and the transformation of communities. In praying thy kingdom come, we all commit to playing our part in the renewal of the nations and the transformation of communities. So we do our bit. And let's face it, there is no lack of places to get involved, whether that be friendship evangelism, helping the poor, caring for our environment, seeking justice. But we hold that intention with the ongoing suffering we see, evil that just makes our hearts scream. Jesus' return is our ultimate hope, the only true way to see an end to pain and sin. As we come to finish, I just want to look at a book that Tom Wright has written on God and the pandemic, which I was reading recently, looking at the sort of Christian response, what the Christian would say about why the pandemic's here and and all that kind of stuff. And he spends some time reflecting on Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 27, that creation is groaning. So I just wanted to show you that, first of all, he talks about creation. So... Two verses, in verse 19, for creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. You should be able to click it, it's mysterious. Okay, well I'll just, uh, you can pick up your Bibles instead, what a thought. Uh, Romans 8. Um, So yes, it says, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. And then there's that verse that I looked at at the beginning. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So you've got creation groaning in the present and waiting in eager expectation for the second coming, for the redemption. Uh, And so you've got that happening at the same time. And then that passage goes on to say, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. So the church... We do what? We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship and the redemption of our bodies. So we're doing exactly the same as creation. We're groaning inwardly and we're waiting eagerly 
for the adoption, that we know our full adoption, our full redemption, when we have the new heaven and new earth. But that's not all. We have creation, we have us, the church. Then in the same way, verse 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, it says, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. I can see it's come up now, that's good. So he then, so Tom Wright then ends with this quote. He said, this is our vocation, to be in prayer, perhaps wordless prayer, at the point where the world is in pain. If the band would like to come up. So I actually really love that picture, and I think there's a lot we can take from it for the pandemic and for plenty of other situations around us. Creation knows it's in a fallen state. Creation groans and eagerly awaits. We, the church, know it's that now and not, that, not yet. We are groaning and we are eagerly waiting. And the Spirit, we, we partner with the triune God in this. We partner as the Holy Spirit himself. Doesn't come up with loads of words. He groans too. So we all just lift up our broken world and say, thy kingdom come. We recognize it's deeply flawed, it's deeply broken, and we hold it up to God. We pray for his kingdom to break through, for him to weave things together for good, to restore things, to bring light in the darkness. We declare our allegiance to his kingdom, and in doing so, make ourselves available as agents of his kingdom in the now, whilst we groan together with all the earth, for our future and full redemption of our bodies. A glorious day when we will see a new heaven and a new earth where there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things will have passed away. Oh, Father, your kingdom come.